Hi, and welcome to Intercom on Product. With myself, Des Trainer, co-founder of Intercom, and Paul Adams, who's our Senior Vice President of Product. Over the time we've worked together, Paul and I have had countless conversations about things like how to run a product org at scale, how to balance customer feedback on your product roadmap, how to spread a product-first mentality throughout a company, how to maintain design excellence in a fast-growing R&D team, and so much more. In this series, we're going to begin sharing some of these discussions with you on a regular basis, covering everything from industry trends, what's hot right now, all the way through to things like, how are we embracing the rise of automation? So if you're a designer, product manager, engineer, researcher, or anything in between, we think you'll find these conversations really valuable. You can subscribe to Intercom on Product on iTunes, you can stream it on Spotify, or even just grab the RSS feed in your player of choice. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Intercom on Product. This is episode 11. Unlike previous episodes where we've been pretty firmly focused downwards within product orgs, today's episode is actually about marketing. This is the age-old product meets marketing challenge. As a company starts, it generally tends to have this simple product and a simple flat team of like three, four, five people all working on a very simple message to a simple group of people. And everything seems so easy such that you'd barely wonder what on earth do you need marketing for? Or rather, why is it so hard for companies who are larger? Today, as always, I'm joined by our SVP of product, Mr. Paul Adams. Hello, Paul. Hi, Des. And we're going to have a chat about this because it's definitely been an area we've learned a lot over the years. As I said, things get complicated as you attract more diverse customers, diverse use cases, different types of advertising campaigns, more and more people in the mix. And We have seen a lot of companies and we know a lot of companies that have struggled to get this product and marketing relationship right, ourselves included. So that's today's topic. Paul, I'll start with you and ask, what the hell is product marketing to you? Yeah, uh, there's many ways to answer that question. And I'll start by throwing out a few of them. I often say to people that some version of products of people and products, some version of if you've built your product and you've put it out into the world and no one has heard about it, Like, was it even worth putting it out there? You know, and so one big thing that product marketing does is help bring that product to the world, help explain it to people, help people become aware of it, a whole bunch of things. And so in many ways for me, I think this will be the crux of lots of discussion today, product marketing is almost a part of product. You know, it's very hard to to actually draw firm lines between where a product manager's job starts and ends and where a product marketing manager's job starts and ends. I think that both of those sides need to be thinking about the other person's side just as much. Right. And like, I know a lot of our listeners are like pretty early stage startups. And like for me, generally speaking, like ye old early stage template looks something like this. Like you have a better mousetrap or a better time tracker or a better task manager or whatever. And the gist of product marketing in your head is like, get the tagline, which usually involves things like reinvented or like you've never imagined or forget everything you know about time tracking or whatever. And you have a big ass screenshot on the homepage and a sign up button and you sit back and you're like, job done. Why does it get harder as things go further? Yeah, I think there's lots of reasons. One simple one is competition. So, you know, usually I think... um, for startups that have come to market with a good product, you know, from the very beginning, they've identified some need in the world, some customer problem that isn't solved or some opportunity to do something better. And so in a sense, they have very little direct competition. You know, they're just kind of new in the market. They're doing something different, you would hope. And so as you get older, you become mature. If you see success, 
then you start to attract competition. Maybe that's like incumbent companies that start to do things like you or like new startups to start to do some of the stuff that you're doing. And so it becomes much more important to have a really clear idea of the unique position you hold in the market. So, you know, what is different about your company? And is that difference really easy to explain, really easy to understand? And that's like an internal and external thing. You know, externally in the market, you want prospective customers to understand the differences. Uh, but internally too, it needs to be really clear right through the orgs, right through the product org, marketing org, everywhere, sales org. That difference, again, needs to be just really, really clear, simple for people to understand. And that's not actually as easy to do in practice as it sounds. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the other thing that comes to mind here for me is, um, I think it was Jared Spool who once like, somewhat jokingly said, like, uh, if you want to increase your conversion rate, just turn off all your advertising. And he was right in the sense that um, if you can imagine, if we turned off literally every way that people would normally hear about Intercom, literally the only people who are coming to Intercom are people who already know and already want it, right? And like the inverse of that statement is, is therefore that like your conversion rate will logically decrease as you scale your advertising because you're effectively attracting people with like weaker and weaker and weaker intent. It doesn't mean that that's a bad thing. It just means that like there's a world's difference between somebody who's say shopping for, I want to install Intercom on this new product versus I wonder, is there a good tool for talking with visitors on your landing page, right? Both of those roads point to Intercom but one of them is like ready to rock and it's going to click the sign up button on arrival. And the other one is definitely going to shop around and compare us with, with some of the other incumbents, right? And I think um, that's where, in my opinion, that's the first point at which it becomes necessary to have more than one thing to say to a customer. So mm-hmm. that's why the sort of the big ass screenshot starts to not work in a sense, because in, like for the person who just wants intercom, fine, they're clicking the sign up button eight days a week. But for the person who is like shopping around, you kind of need to sell them like on the. I've always said like people don't buy the solution until they've bought the problem. You kind of need to sell them on the idea that they need this thing, and then sell them on the idea that this thing is the best version of the thing that they're going to get. Which basically, like in blunt terms, just means more marketing pages, right? This is where you end up with like use cases, and where you end up with like customer testimonials, and all all of those extra things that you need to say in your marketing so you can make sure that yes this is a great time tracking app but did you realize it also works for like dentists or whatever right you start to get into like having to pitch it in different ways and i think like as a company scales out its marketing offerings like the first thing most startups add is usually product marketing and that usually makes sense because the job of product marketing is as you said to kind of explain the value that's locked up in the product and make sure that that the target customers understand it once you add demand generation and that is like the folks who try to get out into the customer's natural habitat and put ads in front of them or billboards or podcasts or blog posts or books or whatever your, your like chosen weapon is, you're going to attract people who are looking for maybe something like your product, but not necessarily your product. And this is where you have to proliferate your messaging, which means that like if you say something like, you know, in Intercom's case, you know, we have a lot of power companies that use Intercom. We could therefore say Intercom is great for power companies. But that means for that message to resonate, like it, it, you know, our demand generation team can't just put out a message saying Intercom, the communication platform for power companies, right? Because they're going to click through and they're going to see our homepage doesn't mention power companies. And you're back to this like Jakob Nielsen idea of like the scent of information, which is like, let me follow this message all the way down the funnel. 
So that inherently means you're going to have to like have a product marketing page that isn't a big ass screenshot, but that is, a, you know, here's five reference customers of great power companies who've had great results using Intercom. Ideally, you'll have an onboarding flow for power companies. Ideally, when they land in a product, you'll say, welcome power company here. Intercom is the tool for power companies. But to do all of that, you end up massively like sort of splitting your funnel in loads of different ways. And that is what causes the complexity. And that is what kind of means that like if product marketing is doing all this in conjunction with demand generation, but they're not telling the product manager, shit's going to go wrong fast, right? Because they're going to be launching features that make no sense for power companies and they won't be able to like feature gate them or block them or exclude them or whatever. Like things will unbundle really quickly. And yet all the metrics will look positive while that's all happening. So that to me is, is pro- probably one of the biggest dangers here. If I was to zoom out and ask a bigger question, like you, Paul, you manage 20 product managers or so. Yeah. Do you do you ask them to care about marketing? And if so, why? Oh yeah, hundred percent, absolutely. Product people must care deeply about all go to market marketing and sales. Like, how is a product being marketed? How is it? How is it being sold? I think it's critical that the product management team, in particular, but anyone who's building the product and cares about usage and delivering value to customers and solving their real problems, needs to have a very deep vested interest in how we talk about it externally how we sell it, how our sales team talk about it. And one of the things that we talk a lot about internally here, and we haven't cracked, like this is a hard problem that we still haven't cracked, so I'm not going to pretend that we've it all figured out, is what I call end-to-end thinking. And right. so you, t- you touched it on, on this a lot there, Des, where in an ideal world, you know, maybe, maybe someone unfamiliar with the product first hears about it from an ad, and that ad copy resonates with a problem they have or a thing they're trying to, trying to look for. And then all through, so like from the ad, it runs all the way through from like the landing page, the, then they sign up for the product, into the product, they get some onboarding messages, the product copy UI experience. Like the whole, in an ideal world, the whole thing is beautifully consistent and it all like makes sense. Now in reality, it's messy. And you know, we, we especially you know, the designers amongst us and, and, and the design thinkers out there, we tend to design these things in such a way that they, you know, they kind of naturally flow from like one stage to another. So someone clicks the ad and then they get to this landing page and the marketing and then they scroll and then they see this thing and then they click this button. And then what happens is they get this other thing and they fill in this form or whatever, whatever. And in reality, it's really messy. So people, for example, like, like time is a big component. So people often visit a marketing site many times before they click the button. Again, it depends on the complexity of the product that they're buying. You know, it's one thing to buy like a time tracking app or, and it's another thing to buy something like, I don't know, like, like a complex piece of software yeah. uh, where it's expensive. And so people come back often. Uh, they come back in like with different states of knowledge. They come back in like different states in terms of readiness to buy, even mood, feeling good about it. They're going to try it out or they're feeling a bit, you know, maybe negative or it's not going to work out for them. And um, so time is a thing. And then another piece of the messiness is just people, uh, you know, so often, often in a company, it's not a single person's purchase. We often like get trapped in this too, when we kind of design out these systems thinking like, yeah. hey, here's the buyer, here's the, like the buyer persona, you know, it's Sally and here's what she does. This happens and she does this and she's looking for X. And in reality, Sally has a manager and Sally has mm-hmm. a team and Sally has peers and colleagues and they all have an opinion too. And they all want to get involved. And then all these people often care about different things. You know, some people 
just want to see the ROI. They're like, show me the numbers. Does it increase whatever? Does it increase our revenue? Does it decrease our support costs? They just want to see the numbers. Other people want to hear, they want social proof. They're like, oh, here, I want yeah. to see other companies like us who do this. Some people don't care about any of that. They just are excited to try out a new product. Uh, they're excited about the features or they buy into the vision. So there's a whole bunch of, like, whole bunch of internal viewpoints. I, 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 there's, there's like two different conversations I want to have springing out of this. The second one, which we'll come back to, would be like, I think we should talk a little bit about the end-to-end review process that you usually run in advance of any big launch. Because I, I think that's like, it's been a powerful thing for us to get, frankly, get our, our, our stuff straight. But the, the former point, I think, is really interesting as well. Here's like something I, I've been like accepting over the last five years. This idea of the democratization of software adoption, where like, you know, say like the Dropbox model, where, hey, it turns out everyone at the bottom of the org started using it. And now the CIO is kind of, in some sense, compromised and just has to go with it. I don't really believe that that works. I believe that for most, you know, at the very least in our domain, for most B2B SaaS spaces, you end up wanting to charge appropriate amounts of money. Like you're not like a $9 a head or $9 a seat purchase. You end up being a significant line item. And I think it's an important shift for B2B companies to get out of the idea that there is one user who is in your funnel that's going to make a decision that impacts an entire org's, say, support team or marketing team or sales team. The idea that one person is going to make that decision and not only make that decision, but also be the only end user on the far side of all this is kind of batshit, right? And, and as a result, I guess this idea of bottoms up adoption, I think, is true in the case of the the tiny like four-person startup, simple product, simple offering. I think it makes sense there. But I think for any degree of complex software or any degree of powerful or uh, perhaps expensive software, there are more people involved in the purchase. And the forgotten voices and opinions here tend to be all of the people... Now, by, by the way, you know who gets this right? Sales orgs, because they know this stuff inside out. Product people generally tend to, to be naive here. The, these purchases are made with many opinions and... Whether we like it or not, there are people whose opinion matters who are not the end user. They might be the people who approve the cost. They might be the people who approve the, like, and bear in mind, cost isn't just the dollars. It's also the, hey, do we want to have like a four-day offsite to learn how to use this new tool? or All those extra costs that people don't think about. And then there are people who aren't end users, but will be infrequent users. Like they need to see, am I going to get the right dashboards out of this? Am I going to get the right like metrics out of this, etc.? So I think the point you make is really important, which is like, as your product scales in power, you need to get your head out of this mindset of, I have one target end customer who is somehow also a frontline rep and the VP of sales and is going to be the person who authorizes the purchase and will also be the only end user I have to think about. And you need to realize your funnel and your marketing needs to appeal to everyone. It needs to speak the language of results, social proof, needs to speak the language of like what a manager wants to see, what a director wants to see, what a frontline user wants to see. And it needs to kind of sell them all on the idea. And then the onboarding process needs to do that too. It needs to be easy to go from like, hey, I'm just tipping around here trying out this product to let me invite my team, to like let me prepare my first dashboard so I can show it to my boss. And all that sort of stuff generally tends to get forgotten as in the transition from a small company to a big company. So that's all I wanted to, to sort of rant on at that. But I, I do think it's an important note that like, as the product scales, the adoption path gets complex. And we just we, we need to allow for that. And that's why marketing and DG and all that sort of stuff gets more complicated. Because again, the demand generation generally tends to move further up the org chart. So 
the messaging starts to target like directors and VPs and CMOs or, or whoever like the whoever is you know CTOs whoever's like top of the list, and as a result, the marketing needs to also like follow that, which basically means the sign up path and the, the what product people have to think about also changes. Then to come back to the other point. We like we had a launch a couple of weeks ago, and we actually have another uh, spoiler for all of our exclusive podcast listeners. We have another huge launch coming in about three to four weeks, I think. We're going to be deep next week or the week after, I'm sure, or at least you will be anyway, Paul, in like what we call end-to-end review. Could you talk a little bit about what that process is? What are you looking for? What's the scope for those meetings? What are we trying to fix? What are we trying to catch for? Yeah, yeah. I'll start by sharing how we got it all wrong for years. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so I think that might be the most useful pragmatic takeaway for people listening. If you go back a few years at Intercom, we had three teams that would have been involved in a launch, in any kind of product launch. One is the product team, obviously an engineering team building the product, building the software. Then there's the marketing team, product marketing manager in particular, but you know, like the brand team and other people involved in creating assets and storytelling and, and demand gen, creating ads maybe. And then we had the growth team, and our growth team looked after things like the sign-up process, some of the pricing work, paywalling, onboarding, you know, the messages people get, and so on. So we had three teams working on a launch, and uh, there's like a kind of a funny, like famous slash infamous story from Intercom a few years ago, where we launched a new product, and three teams all did an excellent job in their own silo. So the product and engineering team built, designed and built this great product and the marketing team did a great job marketing it and the growth team got all the kind of bits and pieces required, but they hadn't collaborated. And because they hadn't collaborated, no one actually designed and built the seams between these things. So you know, moving from finding out about the product to being able to sign up for it and moving from like being able to sign up for it to actually getting it. And as a result, we didn't actually build some of the uh, some of the, some of the customer journeys required. Like, I was think, this the acquire acquire piece? Was it? Uh, yeah, I think this yeah. is the one where you you couldn't actually sign up for the product and some of the customer journeys. If I remember correctly, I think we did made a big splash. Uh, it's I mean it's, it's ancient history now, and uh, and the people who we blame are no longer here, but they're probably still listening <laughs> to the podcast. <laughs> I can't blame us. Uh, yeah, yeah, of, of course, I, I actually do blame you. To be clear. Yeah. But um, I, I I do remember getting like it was the most horrifying message uh, where like we did this big external splash about how Intercom networks in your marketing side and how you can do all all the things you love about Intercom are now available for talking to website visitors, and it got a tremendous response from the external world. And I got from all of our existing customers, they were like, uh, hey, I've been using it for two years. How do I sign up for this thing? And that was yeah. the piece we had forgotten. We'd forgotten to let our current customers sign up. It was a classic case of everyone thought it was somebody else's job, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, and, and like we got it wrong a couple of times. Never as bad as that one. That's like the infamous example. But there's a couple of times where we got paywalls wrong. Like, we're, we, you know, again, yeah. journeys that people hadn't thought about, like, oh, these customers are on this plan and this new thing is on this other plan. And like, what happens? You know, do they click a thing or, you know? So, yeah. So anyway, anyway the, the, so one so problem go, is go, that go like, back to, Yeah, go back to the meeting yeah. maybe. Like, uh, let's talk about like, so do you identify these journeys now and like walk through them each, like flow by flow? Yeah, so one, one thing, there's kind of t- two problems that we encountered and then I'm kind of talk about how we do it. One is this siloed thing, right? So there's people working in silos. So this idea of an end-to-end review brings everyone together into the same room. So we avoid this stuff and we start to go through all these customer journeys and make sure they're all mapped out well. Then we encountered, so that was, we solved that problem by getting everyone into this end-to-end review. So we started doing these end-to-end reviews. And, and thankfully, 
the paywalls got built and people would sign up and so on. Yeah. Um, but we also look at things like copy. We look at like all the things we talked about earlier. We look at messaging, consistency of message, tone. Like, are we explaining things in the same way? Have we accidentally drifted in language and now people are explaining two things, sorry, the same thing in two different ways? So we look at all that stuff. But that we then realized we had done this wrong in a second way, which was it was we were doing this way too late in the process. So like mm-hmm. we were having like an end-to-end review for a new product a week before the launch. And then we discover all the stuff that's wrong. And you're like, you know, what are we going to do now? Like we have a week to go. We're, we're in QA mode. We're in the final mile here. And, we and we're too big yeah. a company at this point to like say, oh, you know what? Just skip this, push the release date back for another couple of weeks or whatever, because we probably would have had planned press launches and all sorts of shit, right? All sorts of stuff. Yeah, you could have, yeah, exactly. You could have press with like embargoes that were going to yeah. go off and like launch events, all that and, stuff. Yeah. Yeah, launch events, yeah, a whole bunch of events that we would have done over the years. So it was just too late. And then we end up like scrambling or like just going through with the launch and then like immediately scrambling post-launch to like fix all the stuff that we'd missed. So the, so now we, we, we have these end-to-end reviews. They are much earlier in the process. But to be honest, we're still, we're still not doing this as well as we can, um, which I'll get to in a second because it is hard. The end-to-end reviews are still a little bit too late. Everyone would agree, I think. You know, we still don't do them early enough. And we're still trying to figure this out. The challenge is that in order to do an end-to-end review, uh, like a full end-to-end review, like, hey, let's look, at, let's look at the ad copy and the marketing website and the language all the way through to like the f- finished product, you kind of have to have everything done. You know, like this is the mm-hmm. kind of chicken and the egg problem. How can you do an end-to-end review of something that isn't complete? And so we end oh, yeah, up in, you don't have one of those reviews where you're like, hey, we know this is all shit, but trust us, it'll get better. But please review it because you're like, well, would you yeah. want feedback or not? Like, you know. Yeah, I mean, we ended up with loads of those types of things where like the review is at the right time in the calendar, only for people to go like, yeah, yeah, we haven't figured that out yet. Or yeah, that's a bit crap. We're going to fix that and change that. So that's why I'm saying like, this is very hard. And there's a balance that we are still trying to find uh, between stuff is finished enough such that we can review it, but it's early enough so we can change it, you know? And so the, the key thing then is kind of stating the obvious is that you just need a very, very good partnership between the different functions. You know, and yeah. the more the functions talk, the more the PM and the PMM are talking, and the more the PMM is talking to the, to the brand designers or to the demand gen folks, you know, the more the functions are talking, the easier this is because you end up with this kind of like implicit understanding of what, where each other is headed, you know, and so like by the time the thing does kind of fully get fleshed out, we kind of generally knew what, what it was, how it was going to work anyway. And so the, the changes or kind of mistakes we've made tend to be smaller than they might have been otherwise. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode one is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but... For every single tech company, this is an adapt-or-die moment. It's inevitable that all businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service. And it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. 
We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right? And see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. Just to change like sort of area of discussion for a second, like a lot of what we've been saying of late has just been about like what happens when you have effectively like a, a big bang launch, right? Like as in, oh, it's, it's July 5th, everything's going live, we're going to tell our customers, send us email, blah, blah, blah. The other like area where I think product marketing can easily diverge is like in just a, what I would just call like the day-to-day iteration of your product and your marketing and your, mm-hmm. your demand generation. So a, a danger I observe here is iteration that happens in isolation effectively breaks the whole system. So to give you an example, a product team iterating without talking to the marketing. And by iterating, I mean like dealing with voice of customers. So that's like standard feature requests, shipping them, adding on things, improving things, updating screenshots, blah, blah, blah. Just normal product teams tipping away on their normal product stuff outside of the context of a big bang, like V3 type launch. They will naturally move the product along in terms of it being more powerful, closing off more gaps, changing... Aesthetics, changing screenshots, changing key flows, etc. And as a result, the product will start to look less and less like it does on the website. And it will have more things that done are listed on the website, and it will basically have more use cases and more power and probably better results done than the marketing says. Product marketing doing the same thing will start to like produce marketing for a product if they're iterating on their own work in in, in absence of product. They won't like know where the product's going, so they won't know where to take the messaging. And they'll oftentimes they'll end up refining and kind of A B testing the way towards the most efficient way of marketing the product as it stood a year ago, even though the product team have moved on. And lastly, and perhaps most dangerously, and it was, it was our, our senior director, Brian Cotlier, uh, who made this point to me really clearly. He was he's a firm believer that the demand gen team always needs to know what the hell the product is doing way in advance because. If you iterate on advertising independent of your product team, so that is not touching base with reality of what the product actually does, your only input mechanism will be, did the ads get clicked? Did it produce an MQL? Did the MQL go on to be an S1, S2 lead? All that usual sort of stuff. But you can definitely do that by advertising a product that doesn't exist. Like You can really easily fool yourself by producing like a really effective advertising campaign for a product that literally doesn't exist. And like this is the bit in the podcast where I should be taking pot shots at competitors or something like that, and I won't. But like iterating on advertising independent of what the product actually does will get you great ads, great hype, great buzz. The only thing that's missing is the product's not there. So I think how do we solve for you have product marketing and demand gen all within their own worlds doing their own day-to-day maintenance of their own properties, which usually improves them, takes new inputs, et cetera. How do we make sure they don't diverge? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And, and again, like similar to earlier, I'm not going to pretend we've, we've solved this because we haven't. But I can, I can kind of highlight at least where we've been and, and where we might be going. To kind of cut to the chase, the answer, I think, is partnership. But we, we had this interesting thing over the years at Intercom where you know, we've um, a, a big office in Dublin, we've a big office in San Francisco, Offices elsewhere now, like London too. But but for for years we we built the product in Dublin, 
And so our product managers are all in Dublin. And then the product marketing managers are in the marketing work, which was all in San Francisco. So the PMM and the PM are in different offices and they're separated by eight hours in time zone. And the kind of debate that, that kind of went, came up here and there was, should they not be co-located? Like that, surely that's a better world. And, and for companies who have one office, one HQ, they often are co-located. But I, I'd even go a step further and say, like, should they not just be sitting together? Like in the same way that, you know, a designer and an engineer, I would hope basically sit together in a team so that they can just kind of quickly chat with each other and make sure that the intent of the designer is kind of coming through in code and that the engineer can give feedback to the designer on like what's feasible and not working well and so on. Uh, in the same way that they can just collaborate in real time, the theory is that the PM and the PMM sitting beside each other in a team can collaborate in real time. And then the idea is that the PMM is the conduit for marketing, basically. So the mm-hmm. PMM is the one who's talking to demand gen, talking to the brand team. You know, they are the, the they represent marketing both in and out of product. And, and I think, I think that's the answer, which obviously like means that the PMM have a critical job to do. Uh, it's yeah. interesting now, of course, with the office thing whereby, you know, we're going, a lot of companies are going remote and it's going to increasingly be the case that they're not sitting beside each other and not in the same time zone. And yeah. so I think it's going to be something that we'll probably have to overcompensate for the idea I, that, you know, we, 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 we don't have the card or chats to just get back on the same page and, and, and so on. That makes a lot of sense. I think it, a lot of it is best solved by, as you said, like, you know, the PMM joining the stand-up for the product team and, and vice versa, like to sort of make right. sure that like that there's no obvious uh, sort of massive gaps. Maybe just w- one area, like when, it, when, when you've done enough of these iterations, so let's say like, you know, if you take last week's launch where we uh, like made huge improvements to our, effectively our support product, it's a different type of launch than, say, like Resolution Bot or Product Tours or any of our sort of signature standalone products where we're like, hey, this thing didn't exist, exist yesterday. Now it does have at it, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. like this other type of launch is the thing you've been using for the last few years is now dramatically better. We've got a lot of questions both internally and externally about, like, about the messaging here. And, um, you know, internally, at least a lot of questions have been like, hey, we, we told our customers like, we shipped over 20 features. Why did we say that? And I think like we're still teasing this apart. The dilemma we face is we have genuinely improved 20 different areas of the support process, everything from reporting to ticketing to like, you know, uh, you name it, right? You go on APIs, different inbox views, customization, blah, 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 right? And all of those things got better. But there was a, a a need to launch a lot of these things together because of the overlap in functionality. For example, like if we launch ticketing, you can't launch that independent of a way to do reporting on ticketing and, and so on and so forth. How do you best like, package up these things and communicate them to both customers and maybe prospects? Uh, you know, how do you market this sort of bundle of features versus the single big bang? Yeah, it's it's a it, it's a fascinating question and not a simple one. Internally, at least, there's kind of two things we're like debating and reflecting on the launch and, and kind of having to think about. One is the city of output versus outcomes. So, you know, the question that was kind of raised to us in different ways is like, hey, why are we celebrating output externally? Output being like, hey, we've 21 features. You know, it doesn't speak to like the value that those features deliver and so on. So the outcomes output one is one. And the reason that's that, that that's kind of a question internally is because we are on you know, a very strong path internally to move to a much more outcome-based way of working mm-hmm. and thinking. And so that's one. And the second one is bundling. 
So, you know, when should you bundle features together? How many, how big is a bundle? When is a bundle too big? Is 21 too big? Is that too much bundling? Because then it gets harder to like tease them all apart and explain them all, et cetera. So it, it is definitely something that, we, that we're still trying to think through, like you said. For me, like things that I, I, I kind of have fairly strong conviction at the moment on are if you do decide to bundle a lot of things together, and there's good reason for doing that, you know, a, a product team and an engineering team will always want to ship stuff earlier and faster and get that learning, get the value out into the world for customers, which is kind of their key priority, and then get the learn, you know, the lessons mm-hmm. learned faster. But it's harder for go-to-market teams. You know, if you're shipping at the pace that Intercom does and you're shipping stuff every week, you know, it's it's really hard as a customer to try and consume all this stuff, like more stuff every week, more changes, another update. You know, the marketing team are like, oh my God, I've got to update more landing pages. Are you serious? We just did that. We just did that last week. The sales team are like, well, more stuff. Whoa, whoa I'm just still trying to talk yeah. to the customers about the other stuff, you know? And there's an inherent bundling in some of this. Like sales usually do like quarterly business reviews. So they want to sit down and they're going to introduce like seven things in that chat where it can be quite confusing to the customer if like these things are being drip feeded out like so like every time I log into the inbox there's something new here and I don't know what it is like yeah. uh, and and you can and like then the customer experience can get a little bit trashed as well in that like uh, every pm for all the right reasons when they launch something new they want to do a big banner they want to do a big update they want to do a product tour they want to do a, like you know a, a big modal mm-hmm. to say check out the new blah 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 tab but of course, you've got like 20 PMs and you've got one customer. Like it's it's going to yeah. be like the danger is you end up with this like large amount of relatively small messaging, which is actually harder to digest than like every now and then sit down and let's talk to you about what's in Inbox V4, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the benefits. And again, it's pros and cons to this approach, but that's one of the benefits of the bundling. So like if we go out to the market and say, you know, hey, everyone, hey, all of our customers, prospective customers, today we have 21 new features. That, that to me does two things, you would hope if you do it well. One, they sit up and take notice. They're like, wow, 21 new features. Intercom got a major upgrade today. I am going to pay attention to that. Maybe some of the stuff I've been asking for is in this release and I'm excited. You know. And then the second piece is I'm going to also take the time to do it properly. Like 21 is significant. And so what I'm actually going to do is set aside an hour of my day later, properly read through this, properly understand it, be able to explain it to my other teammates who use Intercom, have a chat internally about it, and you know, an informed chat. And so you kind of hope that it sets in motion um, two of those things, uh, or sorry, both of those things. You know, people pay attention first of all, and then take the time to understand the the updates. But again, like the, you know, the, the, there's a balance here, and depending on the the nature of the release, if it's lots of small changes, this may make sense. Yeah. If it's something bigger, maybe you, you want to do it, do it in a different way. That makes total sense. Okay, and then lastly, uh, and we need a succinct answer here, so really do your best. Yeah, I'll try. Like, succinct <laughs> answers are often not my specialty. But yeah, no, I know, it. yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, the answer to this question will be in the entirety of next podcast. Yeah. Uh, no, so it's basically, if I transplanted you into a different company, let's call them QuiziCorp because they don't exist, and QuiziCorp have, have, have all the problems we've discussed. They, uh, you know, they're, the product team is a little upset with the marketing team because they're not getting all their marketing right. They're using different language. Marketing team hates product because they're just throwing shit into the product every other day. They're not communicating well. Sales are mystified as to where all this stuff is coming from. Without using just the, the vagueness of things like get together and partner, what are some tangible things you think help here? Yeah. Uh, the thing to answer was get together and partner. So, right, okay. <laughs> but I, I'll give you something. I'll give you, I'll give you examples. Yeah. Um, like does end-to-end so like, review help or, or things like that? Like, like you know, what, what would be some high order, like high impact things you'd introduce? 
Yeah. So um, the first thing is I get all the people who are at the appropriate Zoom level to talk to each other. So for example, like with the recent big support launch, here is what happened on the ground. I, I running product, was talking to Shane running marketing. And we were talking about the highest level things like medium term strategy, bundling. Hey, is bundling right? What's the pros and cons? How should we do it in the future? What are we learning? Like we're talking at that level. And then you go a level down, you have like Ali who runs our product marketing team. You have Jane in London running our our product team over for support. And Mm -hmm. they're talking about more specifics on the launch itself. But again, at a, at a kind of strategic level. And then right. you get down into the, into the teams and you have like Annie, who's our product marketing manager, and she's talking with the PMs and our group PMs and, and our engineering managers and so on about the details of the launch. But all these levels are deeply collaborating. There's a lot of um, meetings like the end-to-end review. There's a lot of working sessions. Like a lot of the meetings take the form of a working session. One, one of the kind of things, one of the things we kind of joke about internally is that I'm sure we're not, it's not unique to Intercom. You know, the marketing team like to use decks, uh, like Google Slides, for example, and the R&D team, the product engineering team like to use Docs, Google Docs. So yeah. we have decks and we have Docs, and we all know decks and Docs don't work together. Yes. And so, uh, so like, you know, we've, we, we've, we, we have these working sessions where we just get in each other's tools, we embrace each other's process, uh, and, and like we, we trash it out, you know, and it can be painful and it can be really hard at times, but it's the only way, like, you, you got to get your hands dirty um, so, so, so to kind of recap, like don't mix the Zoom levels. So, you yeah. know, the kind of the VPs shouldn't be down editing the copy. And equally, the, the teams need to get their hands dirty, get in each other's tools and start actually collaborating, functionally collaborating yeah. in the tools. Uh, and I guess to conclude, like, and you'll know you're getting it right when you're pushing out a launch or an iteration. And the single message from demand gen campaign through to the product marketing page, regardless of use case, regardless of vertical you're going after, right through to the sign-up flow and beyond is the same single simple message that the customer needs to hear that will motivate the upgrade, the purchase, the engagement in any way, shape or form. That's the sign you're getting it right. And the sign you're getting it wrong is if any of those deviate. So you're attracting customers for whom you have no product or when they sign up, they're seeing the wrong things, or, none of, or, or, or like there's overlap, or customers arrive at your product marketing page and they just don't understand what's going on, or they do understand what's going on, but the product isn't there once they sign in. Any, any deviations there are a sign that the right people aren't talking, and, and that, that's probably like the, the best thing you can investigate to make sure that you've got a healthy relationship between product and marketing. Thank you very much for your time today, Paul. Uh, this is the end of Intercom and Product Episode 11, which is all about product and marketing. In future episodes, we'll talk about product and sales, product and finance, and we might even bring on some guests to help us through. Thanks very much for listening, folks. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Des. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Intercom on Product podcast. For more content, go to our blog at intercom.com slash blog, or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. 